Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. Winchester Once a Roman market town, this city became a site of importance in early medieval England. In the 9th century, Alfred the Great would establish it as his principal city in the Kingdom of Wessex, and from that point onwards, it developed into a key site for religious, royal and economic activity, the three core components of the early medieval capital city. But how much of this history is still visible today? And how is Winchester's early medieval importance understood to the modern mind? A closer look at what remains here in Winchester today will allow us to understand the prominence of the city in the early medieval period, and will also allow us to reflect on how early medieval Winchester is perceived today. We will be asking whether what remains reflects Winchester's status as the early medieval capital city. In modern Winchester, the presence of King Alfred the Great, King of Wessex from 871 to 899, is understood by the 17-foot bronze statue which stands in the centre of the Broadway. This statue was erected in 1899 to commemorate the 10th century of Alfred's death. The Alfred depicted here is the conqueror over the Viking invaders, holding his sword aloft, defending his kingdom of Wessex. It seems appropriate that this message should be conveyed from Winchester as the capital of Wessex. It was the place from which Alfred expanded his kingdom. The legacy of this expansion would eventually transform into the Kingdom of England, with Winchester now the capital of the whole land. And whilst it is appropriate that this statue should stand here in Alfred's capital, the truth of Alfred's presence in Winchester is much more down to earth. In fact, Alfred was buried under the earth here in Winchester. Much of Winchester's importance came from its religious houses and what they could offer to the royal kings of Wessex. King Alfred the Great was sure to establish Winchester as the burial place of the kings of Wessex. The Old Minster had been the primary religious house in Winchester 
since its construction in 650. Alfred used it as a burial place for his royal family. He moved his father's remains to the Old Minster and was himself buried there upon his death in 899. You can see the remains of the Old Minster outlined in the grass by the current cathedral. Alfred's son, Edward the Elder, had loftier ambitions and perhaps understood the importance of a specific site of royal burial where kings could be venerated and celebrated. Therefore, he set about building a new minster, intended from the first inception to cater for the burial of royalty. In 901, this new minster was complete, and Alfred the Great's remains were transferred there in 902. Alfred's queen, Ilsworth, was also laid to rest at this spot that same year. Indeed, the new minster became a burial site for Edward's brother in 922 and of Edward and his son in 924. The charters of the new minster describe the site as a royal mausoleum. The new minster was also a recipient of royal donations, with King Canute gifting a golden cross to the abbey as a symbol of royal favour. However, the march of time brought change to the fortunes of the new minster, and it did not enjoy such a favoured position following the Norman conquest of 1066. In 1109, the Newminster's relics, which included royal gifts and the remains of Alfred the Great, were moved to Hyde Abbey after the Newminster was badly damaged by a fire. The buildings which remained were eventually swallowed up by a new palace built by William the Conqueror. The remains can be seen just off the High Street and in one of the shops which lines it. A site of royal burial has itself been buried by the passage of time. This change of location does not mean that the Normans were ignoring the importance of this church to the people of Winchester, just to focus on their cathedral. When the new minster was translated to Hyde Abbey, the rights of the citizens to be buried there remained, indicating that there was still a special relationship between its religious centre and the populace, even if the elite of England no longer held it in such high regard. The dissolution of the monasteries by Henry VIII ultimately doomed Hyde Abbey. It was stripped away and all that remains is this 15th century gatehouse. However, a 2003 project reveals to us a glimpse of what Hyde Abbey may have once looked like. The graves of Alfred, his wife Eelsworth and Edgar the Elder are commemorated with stone markers so that whilst they are lost, their royal presence is not forgotten. As has already been seen with the New Minster, the coming of the Normans following the Battle of Hastings in 1066 rocked the religious scene in Winchester. William the Conqueror, now King William I of England, understood the religious significance of Winchester. From 1068 onwards, every year he was in England, William ceremoniously wore his crown in the Old Minster to celebrate Easter. He was recrowned king there in 1070. Therefore, it did serve, at one point, a site for William to impose his royal presence in a physical and active manner. This was not enough, however, and William felt the need to establish his own very Norman stamp on religion within Winchester. It is in this context that the Norman building of the cathedral took place. The cathedral formed a marker of Norman power. 
The old minster could not be allowed to compete and was thus torn down. The cathedral now looms over the site of the Anglo-Saxon old minster. This was a clear statement of the invaders' intent. So much so that a lot of the building is rushed. You can see the uneven work done on this pillar. The cathedral is undergoing significant structural repairs in order to keep it standing. The spiritual significance of the Old Minster was retained through the transferal of many of the religious artefacts. St Swithin was a locally significant saint, once buried in the Old Minster, and his shrine was given a key place within the cathedral. The shrine became a place of pilgrimage, as St Swithin's bones were thought to have secret healing powers. Pilgrims were drawn in from all over the country to seek his sacred remains. The shrine itself depicts aspects of St. Swithin's life which gave him saintly status. For example, the eggs depicted represent a miracle which is said to have taken place here in Winchester. A woman carrying a basket of eggs is said to have dropped them and they smashed everywhere. St. Swithin, in a simple act of kindness, picked them up and made them whole again. It is this story and these miracles which came with St. Swithin's life which made the site a place of veneration and worship for pilgrims everywhere. In understanding the importance of Winchester's existing saints, the Normans preserved its significance as a place of holy pilgrimage. The Old Minster was also the original burial place for King Canute, who ruled from 1016 to 1035, and his remains were transferred into the cathedral following the Old Minster's demolition. The mortuary chests we see today are filled with the bones of King Canute, his wife Emma, as well as the remains of the first kings of all England, King Edward, to name a few. That these remains were present in the previous religious houses of Winchester and then carefully translated over into the new cathedral helps us understand their importance of Winchester on the international stage. The cathedral as a site of remembrance and veneration for the previous kings of England united Anglo-Saxon Winchester to the newly formed Norman Winchester. Therefore, the city's prominence in Anglo-Saxon times was not diminished after the Norman conquest. Later, in the 12th century, one Bishop of Winchester in particular would ensure that this legacy of importance was continued through his efforts to endow the cathedral with even more religious significance. Henry of Bois was Bishop of Winchester from 1129 until 1171. I'm currently standing in the Norman section of the cathedral, which is displaying the Winchester Bible. The Winchester Bible was commissioned by Henry of Bois, Bishop of Winchester. It is a manuscript which is so intricate that when the artist died, they were unable to complete it. A significant work of medieval illumination, the Winchester Bible was part of a trend of creating large, beautifully illustrated Bibles. In four volumes, it is an incredible, fine piece of work. The Bible itself was made from 250 calfskins and written with a goose feather quill using red, blue and green ink. This would have been expensive. The Bible itself is an example of the marriage between religiosity and Henry's cultural and political influence. It is this significance that would put Winchester on the map once again. Henry of Blois also bought a marble font over from Tournai. 
with depictions of St Nicholas, who is associated with children and kindness. This font will have certainly connected the population with the cathedral even more, as baptism will have played a dominant role in the everyday lives of Winchester's residents. Winchester gained an international significance with Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a major church leader in the 12th century, referring to Winchester as a second Rome, despite having never even visited Winchester or England. Henry of Blois also wanted to make Winchester a primatial see on equal footing with Canterbury and York. This would mean the establishment of the Archbishop of Winchester. Archbishops were incredibly powerful and thus the religious significance of their see in this case Winchester, would rise too. Winchester would have been closer to God, a prospect Henry of Blois was keen on. This, however, was not to be. But Henry of Blois' influence did not stop at the cathedral, and in other ways this man would maintain Winchester's importance. The ruinous site of Wolvesey Castle is what remains of Henry's residence in Winchester. Henry improved upon an existing bishop's palace on this site. These improvements were intended to be an impressive physical statement of Henry's power. The largest improvement was the addition of the East Hall. Even what remains of it today gives the impression of an imposing structure. have praised Henry for his use of Purbeck marble at Wolvesey, being one of the first men in England to do so. He was also praised for installing lead water pipes, bringing what Davis claims was some of the first indoor plumbing to England. The ruins of the kitchens that would have fed Henry's household can also be seen. Residence here was convenient for his role of Bishop of Winchester. Henry might have hosted other leading churchmen in his hall. They would have surely been impressed with Henry's lavish lifestyle. But it was not just churchmen Henry had to impress. Henry was a grandson of William the Conqueror, and therefore he had strong links to the royal family. In 1135, Henry's brother Stephen sought to secure his hold on the English throne following the death of Henry I. Winchester itself also held incredible significance in any bid for royal power. I'm standing in what used to be the treasury, which contained the accounts of Henry of Blois' estates. Winchester also contained the royal treasury. Stephen would need to secure a hold of it were he to have any chance of becoming king. Henry would have safeguarded the treasury just as much as he did his own. The Gesta Stefani, a 12th century history of Stephen's reign, emphasises just how important the royal treasury at Winchester was. As the Gesta Stefani says, it was on Bishop Henry, on whom his enterprise entirely depended. If Henry wanted to be at the centre of politics and power, this would have been the best place for that. Stephen was successful and the charters from his reign show Henry as witness to many royal decrees. As Bishop of Winchester, Henry was maintaining Winchester's close connection with the crown.
As bishop, residing in a property as large as Wolsey was a clear sign of Henry's power, not only in the church, but also across England as a whole. Henry of Blois was an influential man, and Wolsey Palace was the physical manifestation of this power. In times of weakness, it proved the bolster of his influence. Stephen was not the only one with a claim to the throne, and soon the Empress Matilda, daughter of the late Henry I, was vying for her claim too. The Gesta Stefani recounts that Matilda was advised to win the attachment of Henry, Bishop of Winchester, the king's brother, because he was reckoned to surpass all the great men of England in judgment and in wisdom. This she did, and soon Henry had betrayed his brother and handed Matilda the royal treasury. Stephen would not go down without a fight, and soon Winchester was at the centre of one of the most decisive battles for the crown, the anarchy. Creighton and Wright argue that Winchester suffered more than any other medieval city during the anarchy. The Gesta Stefani tells us Wolvesley had been fortified strongly and impregnably, just like a castle. The remains of these defences can be seen today. A passage leading from the East Hall block led to chambers which gave access to the arrow loops, through which an archer could launch arrows. Henry also had Wolvesley surrounded by a moat. The fortification of Wolvesey Castle was a symbol of Henry's position, not only as Bishop of Winchester, but also as a powerful player in English politics in the 12th century. It was not just Wolvesey which was prime for defence. Winchester was surrounded by city walls, rebuilt in stone in the 3rd century, and at four points in the city there were gates to admit access. Today, the medieval city walls can be seen along the southeast end. That these stone walls have stood for all this time is a testament to their strength. Two of the city gates remain standing, the King's Gate and the West Gate. The West Gate dates to the 12th century, with improvements from the 13th and 14th centuries. Looking at the West Gate, you can see the many models for defence it would have offered Winchester during the anarchy arrow slits for archers, as well as murder holes through which boiled urine would have been poured. Winchester had the means to defend itself. Its importance was understood by those who valued it, and therefore the necessary defences were put in place to keep such a significant city protected. So important were its walls that they feature on the city's coat of arms. These would prove useful when Henry of Blois crossed Matilda and supported Stephen once again. Infuriated, Matilda sought to siege Wolvesey Castle and the city. For that, she used another fortified building, Winchester Castle. Winchester Castle was originally built by William the Conqueror in 1067. William recognised Winchester's importance and therefore thought it was necessary to build a defensive castle on this site in order to solidify his position on the English throne. Unfortunately, the castle was destroyed in the 17th century civil war. Thanks to the archaeological discoveries of Martin Biddle, we know that the castle would have covered four acres of land. It also stood on top of a hill, thus giving Matilda a strategic position from which to attack Henry at Wolvesey Castle. 
The situation got messy, and soon Stephen's forces turned up to siege Winchester Castle, with Matilda inside. Winchester was at the centre of a decisive fight for the crown, demonstrating its strategic importance to the kingdom. Unfortunately for Matilda, Stephen came out on top and she fled. However, Winchester Castle would remain an important defensive site for Winchester in the following century. There is one small section still visible today. The ruins we see here date to the 13th century and were constructed by Henry III, who reigned from 1207 to 1272. He spent £6,000 on improving defences of the castle. What we see here are the remains of a round tower built in 1222, as well as some underground passages. These underground passageways were particularly useful in defending the castle from attack. The soldiers could use them to sneak underground and apprehend their enemy in a surprise attack. The castle was not only a means for defence. The only building that remains standing is the Great Hall. Built between 1222 and 1235, Henry III intended this space to resonate royal power. I met with the Great Hall custodian Polly Pike to discuss the intricacies of the Great Hall's importance to medieval Winchester. Can you tell me why Henry III rebuilt it in the 13th century? Um, well, Henry was born in Winchester in 1207, so I think he felt a natural affinity to the city. Um, so when he comes to the throne, he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to spend uh, £500, which was considerable sum in his time, um, on rebuilding uh, a great hall uh, in the castle, uh, really a space for him to show off his royal power. What was the hall used for? So the hall's main use was as a banqueting hall. So this was somewhere that Henry III could bring together his court um, and local uh, important people and really show off his royal power. So for example, you can see in the architecture uh, these Purbeck marble pillars. Um, now this marble is from the Isle of Purbeck in Dorset, uh, really nice quality. Uh, so very expensive to transport over and also very expensive to shape into this form. Um, so really only available to someone with the riches of a king like Henry III. And now if you look over here, you'll see what remains of the dais. And now the dais was a raised platform where Henry's throne would have sat. So he would have been very much front and centre in the hall. Um, what's also very interesting about this is that on this wall here, there would have been painted a wheel of fortune. Now this is a medieval philosophy that as uh, the wheel turns and is turned by the Lady Fortuna, your fortunes rise and fall. So I think very interesting that this was on the wall above where Henry III sat. It's as if to remind people who is in charge of your fate. Well, it's the king. It's him with all his royal power. So Henry definitely intended and did spend some time here in uh, the city. Um, not only did he build the hall, he also added some new royal apartments as well. Um, so for example, you can see the remains on that wall over there of what would have been the king's apartment. Um, 
and the king's apartment would have had a fireplace and, of course, a bed. Um, so it would have been very luxurious and nice and comfortable for Henry. And not only that, we also know that off, off that wall there, uh, through a doorway, there would have been apartments for the queen as well. So Henry very much intended royalty to be present in Winchester and very much intended to do something to make that happen. Well, thank you very much for your time, Polly, and some wonderful answers. Thank, thank you. As we have seen, Winchester held great significance for royalty in both times of war and peace. But it was not just in the great matters of state that Winchester's early medieval importance counted, it was in the everyday lives of its citizens too. Winchester's origins were as a market town, and this remained central to its importance in the early medieval period. In medieval Winchester, the High Street was the central hub of economic activity, as it can still be seen today. Alfred the Great laid out a new plan of the city in the 9th century and made sure that the economy was the thriving heart of this layout. Winchester still follows this layout of the city today. The markets were established between 1066 and 1110 near the Three Minsters and were later spread throughout the streets. Food and raw materials such as meat and livestock were exchanged. Thank you, Thank very, you much. very much. The Wind and Doomsday which was a survey of the landowners, tenants and the fees they paid, commissioned by Henry I in 1110, can give us an insight into the types of trade present in medieval Winchester, such as a shoemaker, a mead hall and a herringmonger. The work of Frank Barlow and Martin Biddle on this source presents an economically thriving city that Henry I could rely on as a source of income, just as previous monarchs had. The Winton Doomsday is also a useful record in the names of streets within Winchester, and although these street names have changed over time, their initial names indicate to some of the economic activity which took place there. Parchment Street was once called Fleshmonger Street, which translates to Fleshmonger Street, suggesting the presence of butchers. Southgate Street was once known as Goldstrat and would have been the place of goldsmiths. Finally, Jewry Street, as it is still known today, is a surviving trace of the Jewish community present in medieval Winchester. Most notably, Licorisha of the 13th century, who was a successful moneylender at the time. This diverse community is a contributing factor to Winchester's prominent status in the early medieval period. It could offer people more in terms of their livelihood than anywhere else. Winchester was also host to one of its most significant economic events. We're here on St Giles's Down, where the annual St Giles Fair established under William Rufus took place. It was important for the sale of luxurious goods such as spices, as well as other everyday items including wool and cloth. Merchants from all over the world came to take part in this fair, including Italian cloth merchants. The significance of the fair itself is shown when Henry I expanded the fair for a further five days, more than the allocated time, in exchange for royal lands taking over the bishopric. This shows the significance of Winchester and its inhabitants, with the king not wanting to offend anyone.
Arguably, the gradual decline of this fair and others around England was not because of a shift in the capital city to London, but because of economic developments over time. David Palliser notes that with goods such as fabrics and spices being stored long-term in London, goods became more readily available year-round and therefore the fairs lost their significance. As we have seen, Winchester was very much a vibrant city in the early medieval period. At its heart was religion, royalty and the economy. All three of these contributed to its status as the early medieval capital city. And it wasn't until these influences began to fade and to move on to London in the 13th century that Winchester's prominence declined. However, its early medieval importance has never left. Today, many of the city's street names take their inspiration from its early medieval history. Tourists flocked to Winchester to take in its grand medieval buildings as well as its rather crumbled ones. The continued conservation of these sites ensures that early medieval Winchester transcends the barrier of time, so that whilst London may be Britain's capital today, Winchester's importance to the early medieval world will not be forgotten.